It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Pocket full of cash in Mercedes Benz. Influence peddling, and we're not talking about Joe Biden. Two, you don't have a nation if you don't have a border. If you don't have immigration control, you don't have a nation state. Three, I don't care about football, I'm all about baseball. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up and welcome to Monday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube and follow me on X at Will Kane. Exhausted, tired, embarrassed. But in order to get to that, we got to get to story number three. Let's start. With story number one, gold bars, cash stuffed into jackets, influence peddling, but not Joe Biden, Senator Bob Menendez. In a scam that makes you think of the movie American Hustle, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez has not just been investigated, but now been charged in influence peddling schemes. That involved him receiving a Mercedes-Benz $15,000 for a down payment and a sweetheart loan for his wife to buy a Mercedes-Benz while suit jackets found in his closet after being raided by the FBI showed envelopes of cash and Google searches. How much is a gold bar of a certain weight worth reveals that Senator Bob Menendez is alleged to have sold out the American people, in one specific instance, to the regime in Egypt. It really is a story that reminds you of the historical, real-life event of the ab-scam events of American hustle, in that also taking place in New Jersey. Congressmen and a senator were, in some estimations, entrapped, caught up in a sting, where... They were dealing with selling passports, dealing with foreign powers, and taking briberies and payment. Only once again, as it was done as well in New Jersey, around the famous politician, is it Torricelli, the torch? It's real life in 2023 with Senator Bob Menendez. News reports reveal that in relationships with his wife, she made connections to Egyptian businessmen that worked as a go-between were ultimately text messages reveal he gave the go-ahead for funding for weaponry and military support and foreign aid to Egypt. There's a text message where he sends to his wife that exact confirmation. I'm going to vote for this today. She, in turn, copied and pasted that message and sent it to her contacts, her dirty, corrupt contacts, doing business with Egypt, who forwarded it on to their contacts in the Egyptian government, who gave them a thumbs up. Often after these events, there was a direct correspondence that resulted in payments going to Menendez. It is influence peddling. It is direct payment for doing favors to foreign powers. And it is all run through a relative 
instead of the direct dirty politician. In the case of Bob Menendez, it is his wife. But the parallels are all too obvious to the allegations against the president of the United States, against Hunter Biden, against Joe Biden. And actually, what's going on with Menendez pales in comparison to the allegations around Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Menendez is as salacious. The details grab headlines. The DOJ is actually pursuing a case where, yeah, there's gold bars, there's gold bullion, there's cash stuffed into closets. There's text messages and Mercedes Benz. Mon ami, you got your Mercedes Benz, says his wife in one text message. And that makes it all fun and easy to report and grabs your attention. It makes it undeniable for the DOJ, which, by the way, Bob Menendez has been dirty for some time. He survived one other investigation. It makes you wonder why this one, why now? Skepticism is always warranted. It's worth wondering. Is Bob Menendez a distraction, a patsy, a sacrificial lamb? While the same kind of sin on a much larger scale is being committed by the president of the United States. Same exact foundation, same exact parameters, a proxy, a connection. Your son sitting on boards of corrupt companies, of putting together meetings, of alleged payments. And again, on a much bigger scale, Menendez is talking about tens of thousands perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars, we're talking about multiple millions for the Bidens. Five, ten plus million dollars from the Bidens. And not just to Egypt. Say what you will about Egypt, but it is not an openly adversarial Cold War partner to the United States of America. It's not the Chinese Communist Party. It's not even the corrupt regime in Ukraine. It's not Russia. Those are all the countries involved in the allegations around the Bidens. The Menendez case is something that on its own is worth sitting back for a moment and marveling at the ugliness of the American government on its own, sitting back for a moment and marveling at the dirtiness of a politician. But it hints at something much larger. It obviously hints at the exact type of thing, same type of thing happening in the Oval Office. But yet there's another logical step to pursue, and that is it hints at the corruption system wide. In the politics of America, you can't sell me on the idea that Bob Menendez is the lone dirty politician. You can't even sell me on the idea that Bob Menendez and Joe Biden are the lone dirty politicians in America. I mean, what's going to happen at the end of this? A Democrat governor from New Jersey is just going to appoint another Democrat senator. And odds are that Democrat senator will get reelected in New Jersey. And odds are he'll serve out who knows how many six year terms as senator of the United States. He'll make a career out of living in Washington, D.C. and quote-unquote representing the people of New Jersey. He won't be term-limited out, and he'll just, like every other politician, somehow emerge wealthy from his public service. Look at all of these people. Why are they so wealthy? Why is Nancy Pelosi wealthy? Oh, I know her husband has made trades, and those trades all too often correlate to inside knowledge for Nancy Pelosi in Congress. Why is Joe Biden wealthy? When has he ever had a moment in the private sector, a two-year window from 2016 to 2018, when he was no longer vice president, but he was then beginning to run for president, where he supposedly made the millions that fed his multiple homes across the United States? Fox and Friends recently did a package on Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. He's 90. And I asked the producers involved, hey, what was his house like? And they were like, eh, what would like your grandma's? 
like a house that should belong to not just a 90-year-old, but someone who spent their entire adult life in public surface. It defies logic. It defies region. It defies morality that somehow our politicians always end up rich. How? Why? Why do we just accept this to be the case? Why do we just accept, oh, yeah, Joe Biden? Yeah, of course. Family members, his son, his brother, trade on the family name. Trade on the name of Biden. At a minimum, that is ugly. At a maximum, that is corrupt. You are elected for public service. You turn it into personal ambition. You're elected to represent the people of the United States, and you turn it into representing the best interest of your bank account. This is why I believe, without a doubt, the only solution isn't a mental acuity test. It's not an age limit. It is term limits for American politicians. You're in, you're out. It's not a career. And I understand the outsourcing, what that means for the staffs behind the scenes. Then you're run by a permanent class of political aides that simply move from one congressman or senator to the next and who wield the real power. My response to that would be, what's the difference? What's the difference than what happens now in Pennsylvania? Who's running John Fetterman? Who's picking out his wardrobe? It isn't John Fetterman. And therefore, by extension, it isn't the people of Pennsylvania. Who's running Dianne Feinstein when she's being told how to vote? Who's running Mitch McConnell when he spaces out in the middle of a press conference? Who's running Joe Biden when he repeats himself twice, as reported last week, at a fundraiser told the exact same story, word for word, minutes apart? Who's running these octogenarians, these nonagerians who run the United States of America? Reports are that when Menendez wanted to have one of his corrupt 30 deals, one of his partners meet with Vice President Joe Biden when he was vice president at that time under the Obama administration. He didn't do what a normal politician would do. He didn't send a note to the vice president's office. House Republicans have put out an email showing, you know who Bob Menendez reached out to? He reached out to Eric Schwerin. Who's Eric Schwerin? Eric Schwerin is the former business partner of Hunter Biden. So when Bob Menendez wanted to meet with Joe Biden, Bob Menendez, who is alleged to now charged with doing dirty, corrupt business deals to peddle influence to foreign powers outside of the United States, who did he turn to to make it happen, to meet with the vice president? He met with Eric Schwer and partners with Hunter Biden. Term limits. Corruption, to some extent, is endemic. It's always going to be there. All we can do is hope to lessen its influence, to vote out the SOBs and to root them out when they've been there too long. And all too many have been there too long. I mean, does it have to end up in a place where it's cash inside jackets, where it's gold bars and Mercedes Benz, where it looks like it could be a video by Lil Uzi, but instead it's a senator from New Jersey? And do we have to really pretend like it's just the senator from New Jersey? or even that it's just the president of the United States. It's a corrupt system of politics in the United States of America. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain podcast. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Story number two, you can't have a nation. You can't have a nation state without a border. You can't have a home without a front door. You can't have a citizenry if there's nothing to belong to, no society, no citizenship. If you want to import record numbers of illegal immigrants into the United States of America, fundamentally altering the fabric of this country, you need to also invite them into your living room. 233,000 border encounters in the month of August. It's a record for the Biden administration. It beats last year's record. 233,000 encounters. On the year, it's something like 2.3 million. So on a monthly basis, we're importing Boise, Idaho, Scottsdale, Arizona, Spokane, Washington. On a yearly basis, we're opening it up to... Dallas, 2.3 million people. That's a fundamental invasion. That's a changing of the fabric of the United States. 10,000 a day encounters. And now we're talking about mostly military age men. Look at the images. Look at the reports. They're only coming from Fox. Military age men, 10,000 a day. That is an invasion. And the governor of Texas has now officially declared an invasion, invoking the powers that are there for him. In the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, allowing him to marshal the resources of the National Guard to repel illegal immigrants. We will see if it's more than a paper declaration from Governor Greg Abbott of Texas and whether or not he will do something. But make no mistake, the Biden administration is doing something. This isn't failure. It is success. This is the level of failure that is far beyond incompetence. It can only be intentionality. It's on purpose. And it's to fundamentally alter America. It is. Look, it's not racist. It's not xenophobic. It's not jingoistic to say we have a culture in the United States. We spent times here on the Will Kane podcast talking about what that culture is, what I believe, how we define American exceptionalism. There are many things that go into it. The Protestant work ethic, the Judeo-Christian values, capitalism and free markets. And all of those characteristics are not embraced by the people of different countries. Look at those countries and ask yourself, if those values are shared, why are they not shared in Honduras? Everybody's a refugee. Everybody from Salvador and Honduras and Nicaragua and Venezuela is a refugee. Or they're gaming the system and claiming asylum in refugee status in order to avail themselves of the fruits of this culture and this system without ever having to fully adopt or even understand, much less assimilate to the values of America. You're changing it. Louis C.K., a comedian, is a clip that just recently went viral. He was, it's, it's, a, it's a bit old. I think it's nine months old. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he was saying that he doesn't think it's right that one people, in that case Americans, would have a quality of standard of life so much better than another people just as a proxy, as an example, maybe the people of Honduras. He doesn't think it's moral 
for us to have such high standards of living, such good economy, such high wages, air conditioning, food choices, as compared to someone else, some other part of the globe. And so by extension, he says, let them all in, open it up. And he openly makes the argument, what happened, what will happen, he knows this, what will happen is theirs will be raised, their standard of living, while ours will be lowered. I think he said it was like a a water sloshing around. It'll have peaks and valleys, it'll be rough, and then it'll all settle into, well, a level of equity, homogeneity, sameness, uncommunal suffering, at least for Americans. But it's an interesting perspective when you consider, I wonder if Louis C.K. leaves his door open and invites the homeless of, I don't know where he lives, New York, Los Angeles, into his house. It should work by the same token. I mean, if that is your point of view, is that your philosophical point of view that is immoral for you to live a certain way while others live a different way, you have no right to a lock on your door. You have no right to the food in your fridge. You have no right to the air conditioning in the summer inside your house. Open the door. Let the air out. Open the fridge. Invite them in. That's the same moral argument. Is that what Louis C.K. is doing? Is he inviting the homeless of L.A.? To not just camp out on his front lawn, but to sleep in his bed? Is he inviting them not just over for dinner, but to rummage through his fridge whenever they like? Is he hoping it all shakes around and have his peaks and valleys, but it'll settle like water at some point, even inside his mansion? When they kick him out of his mansion? When they take his mansion? When they reduce the size or the scale or the quality of his mansion? Oh, I guarantee he has that mansion. Because otherwise, you look like a massive hypocrite that's okay with outsourcing problems onto other people, middle class, lower middle class type people, to deal with a lower standard of living while you live behind your gated community, living your chosen lifestyle. There's simply no moral distinction. A nation is the extension of a home. A nation is a group of people who've chosen to live a certain way under certain laws, with certain communal values, who have cultural commonalities. That's what a nation is. And it comes together, mostly in small communities. That's the way you should build it, in small communities. But in the case of America, for common defense. We're going to protect this thing, our values, our civilization, our way of life. We're going to protect it from external threats. We're going to come together militarily. We're going to come together to police our border. Because otherwise, we understand there is no way of life. There is no communal values. There is no civilization. The Biden administration is telling you exactly what they're doing. They're saying, hey, we're going to open this up. Joe Biden said this last week to historic levels of refugee status for people from Venezuela. We're going to make a legal pathway for illegal immigrants to claim asylum and get to work quicker. Part of our platform immediately. This is New York buckles under record numbers. New York City of illegal immigrants. Democratic mayors across the country from Maverick County in Texas to New York City. Saying we can't do this. Because of course you can't do it. As Milton Friedman once said, you can't have open borders and a welfare system. You can't have both. Can't have Social Security, can't have Medicare and open borders. Can't do it. It's defined by giving those benefits to a citizenship that's already paid into and contributes to those entitlements and welfare systems, to those public benefits. But if you give it to the rest of the world, if you open it up to the world, clearly we can all see it's unsustainable. 
That's just the practical problems of opening your front door. The existential problems are that you've fundamentally changed the United States of America. You've ruined its civilization. You've ruined its core components, its core values. You've ruined its community. Just like Louis C.K. would be ruining his home to open it up to everyone. There would be homeless soiling the bed and heroin addicts slumped over in the hallways and prostitutes turning tricks in the guest bedroom. If Louis C.K. lived his personal life like he asks you to think of this nation, let it all settle out. It'll be pumpy, but we'll all settle into a sameness of lower standards of living. That is the end of the nation state. That is the end of the nation. That is the end of the United States of America. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. Story number three. Absolutely embarrassing, the Dallas Cowboys. But in the end, I like baseball, not football. You know that's a cope. You know it's not true. But the Dallas Cowboys absolutely embarrassed themselves against the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. A complete failure at every level. How do you play 2-0 stellar football and then absolutely lose your bowels in the bed against the 0-2 Arizona Cardinals. It was a failure on every level for the Dallas Cowboys, most notably coaching. I don't really know how many penalties it ended up. I believe there was 10 by the end of the first half, which is astounding. If you had 10 penalties in a game, you should be embarrassed. The Cowboys had 10 penalties in a half. Now, this isn't a loser's limp, but a greater point to be made I cannot stand, fire them into the sun, refereeing crews that insist on being part of the game. And there are most definitely crews that seem to take their job very seriously. They're like the feds of referees. Every minor infraction deserves yellow laundry. And they make themselves an integral part of the game. I would always and every time choose a refereeing crew that lets a few things slide, even for your team, if it means less laundry on the field. Fewer penalties. That crew working the Cardinals-Cowboys game insisted that they were a third team on the field. I know combined between the two teams, there was well over 20 penalties called in the game. During the game, I did happen to look it up. What's the record for most penalties? It looks like in the 70s, there was something like 39 called in a game. Can you imagine? And back then, they probably weren't throwing the ball as much, weren't as many plays in a game. So what? A penalty every third play? You're not why we bought tickets. You're not the reason for the television rights, zebras. You're not the cops. We don't need you to make sure the game is perfect. We just need you to make sure the game isn't egregious. It's not fun. It's not fun to have a play and then immediately look down for the yellow signal at the bottom of the screen. It's not fun to live in an age of cynicism. It's not fun to wait to celebrate. You're not part of the game. That being said, the Cowboys were incredibly undisciplined, and that's on the coaching staff. That's on Mike McCarthy, who has received deserved celebration of the first two weeks in the way he's called plays as offensive coordinator. He's now calling plays, and it's been complimentary to the defense. But yesterday against the Cardinals, it was terrible. It was conservative. It was three-yard passes. It was nothing downfield. 
with four minutes left in the game and down by two scores, it was running the ball. It made no sense. It was awful by Mike McCarthy. As I will say, the team's discipline on Mike McCarthy. But Team Saint, Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator that everybody loves in Dallas, had an atrocious day. The Arizona Cardinals, with a backup quarterback, gashed the vaunted Cowboys defense over and over and over. They could not stop. James Conner, Joshua Dobbs. They could not stop the Cardinals. And Dak Prescott threw an interception to end the game. CeeDee Lamb gave up on a play because he was expecting a flag, begging for a flag, when he could have just caught the touchdown. Just absolutely embarrassing by the Dallas Cowboys. On the bright side, the Texas Longhorns continue their undefeated streak, beating the Baylor Bears. Patrick Hatton, producer of this podcast, is celebrating the Florida State Seminoles beating the Clemson Tigers. But I got to be honest with you, they didn't look awesome. Or maybe Clemson's better than we thought. The East Coast Death Valley Tigers. Either way, there's nobody really in college football right now that I would look at and go, man, that's the team to beat. Not Florida State, not Georgia, not Texas, not Penn State, not Ohio State, who's lucky to have beaten Notre Dame only because head coach Marcus Freeman let 10 men on the field, left 10 men on the field in the final plays. It may just be Oregon who survived Texas Tech and then knock the fairy dust off of the hype machine in Colorado. I don't have anything against Dion, and it certainly isn't a black-white issue. It's not a race issue. It was a hype issue. Every casual fan who doesn't watch college football believed something that was not true, based upon hype. Colorado was always going to get their doors blown off by Oregon, and might, again, by USC. They win five games this year, maybe six, and it'll be a victory for Dion off a program that won one game last year. But the hype machine was out of control. And the fact that the bubble burst, now these casual fans and grievance mongers are going to yell, watch as the week progresses, everything is racist, if you said that this was all hype. But I'm all about baseball anyway. I say that again as a bit of cope. But the Texas Rangers are on their hot streak. They just swept the Seattle Mariners. The Houston Astros got swept by the Kansas City Royals. And our three-team race in the AL West is looking good for the Rangers with seven games to go. Up two and a half on the Astros, three on the Mariners. Two of those three teams will make the playoffs. Most likely not all three teams. The Toronto Blue Jays look like they're going to win their way to the playoffs, but that's still in play. And I'll be watching every baseball game as intently as I would watch football. I would love, I'm so ready again for some playoff baseball. Come on, Rangers. Take this thing home. Two and a half game lead. Seven games to go. Don't choke it up. Let's get to the playoffs, Texas Rangers. And then we can turn our attention back to football. That's going to do it for today here on the Will Kane Podcast. I will see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.